Live from the Wells Fargo Bank, where we are all depositing our money from stamp sales. Why Wells Fargo? Bad choice. Raining philatelic hail on your stamp sale. This is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 267, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. This is Tom. This is Cash. This is Scott. This is Mark. This is Becca. This is Dan. We would like to welcome new member Patricia H. from Ontario, California. Yeah, Ontario, the uh, home of Sescal. And it's an interesting story. Sescal... Um, a lot of the competitions don't want to go dark this year, so they're still having various competitions. So this year, Sescal is a literature competition. It won't have a uh, Bors deal, but we they will be able to say, or we will be able, because I'm on the board, um, we will be able to say that Sescal was held this year. It just wasn't a stamp Bors. So we still have the... Uh, literature competition and other stuff, but uh, it's a way to make sure that people know that Sescal isn't going away, that it's here forever. And uh, there are quite a few shows that I'm seeing that are doing this sort of thing, including uh, Chicago Packs. Well, we have something forwarded to us from the lovely Trish Kaufman. Shout out to Trish if she happens to be listening. Uh July 29th, 2020, Noble Spirit announced in their newsletter announcing a first-of-its-kind stamp industry podcast. Damn, somebody beat us to it. <laughs> well, I have it on good authority that there is a podcast. I heard that also someplace. So, I have it on good authority that this one has kind of been around for six years now. <laughs> yeah, like 267 episodes or something? Uh, as a matter of fact, exactly 267 episodes. Well, this one isn't in the can yet. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So 266 well, and yet. a third. <laughs> well, don't forget episode zero. <laughs> oh, yeah, we have an episode zero, so technically we are at uh, 267. 267. Yeah, 267. 267. So, so we were right to begin with. <laughs> 267 plus a little bit more. <laughs> the following is from Wendy at the APS Sales Department. Yeah, uh, the APS Sales Department. First of all, anybody who isn't an APS member, um, you're punishing yourself. You should join. Uh, American uh, Philatelist is a great magazine. And what APS has is APS sales books, which uh, collectors can put together. I think they hold 144 stamps each. They circulate around, and uh, people pick stamps out of them. Uh, it is a great way. It's how I started selling stamps way back when, making sales books. And people still do it, and it's very, very popular. So this is from the American Philatelist. It's sort of um, directed at these sales books. But when I read it, it really applies to everything. And since uh, right now eBay 
is the major sales platform for stamps because there are no shows. I thought this was a really great article to go over. Well, from her article in the AP titled, Fellow Sellers Share Tips on Successful Sales, she writes a series of questions, yes? Yeah. One moment. Shut up. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> um, something about me saying a series of questions. Oh, series. Siri answered. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Siri. Fortunately, she can't hear you. So, because you're on, you're on hit, you're in headsets. Otherwise, that could drive us up a wall. <laughs> and since she's plugged into the board, everyone could hear it. How nice of you. So, the first question: Did you verify the perforations of the stamp? There are many varieties of the same stamp with different perforations. Make sure you have a proper gauge and know how to use it. Yeah, for. Not even really experienced people, but just stamp collectors who know, you know, stamp collecting 101. Um, reading a perforation gauge is pretty important. And uh, also, uh, I will point out knowing the difference between horizontal perfs and vertical perfs. Oh, shut up. <laughs> There's no difference. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> no, no Cash Ka is referring to a uh, a rabbit hole that everybody in the company went down recently, where a stamp was submitted as a uh, vertic perf ten vertical coil, and every expert that looked at it and finalized it went out, and it was submitted as a vertical coil, <laughs> mind you. So submitted as a vertical perforation coil. Every expert looked at it and said it was a perfor vertical perforation coil. It went back to the customer that way who then called us and said, um, this is the wrong Scott number. So I get a call from downstairs this morning saying, the customer says it's this. And I look it up and I what's the cert number? I look up the cert and said, yep, customer's right. It's a horizontal perforated <laughs> coil. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that's that's officially in the stamp industry called going down the rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> or the perf hole. Some sort of hole. <laughs> so, yeah. Learn, learn the directions of the perfs <laughs> <laughs> and how to read a perf gauge. Well, not only learn them, but pay attention to them. Hmm. Right. Well, it, this is mostly for U.S. stamps. I mean... I can talk about Swiss stamps because I was working on some Swiss stamps and I had to differentiate one particular issue. They came in perf 12 and a half and perf 12 and three quarters. <laughs> and that's how I you, love those. Yeah. And you had to tell them apart. So, you know, I did. But, you know, it, it's very difficult sometimes. Luckily. Well, that's where you have to have what is the, the, the specialist template? Is yeah, that what they I, call it? Yeah, I use a specialist. It's I don't, perf gauge. It's not a perf gauge. It's the uh, specialist. Um, oh no, no, he's 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 showing a, a perf gauge to the I'm, camera. I'm holding everybody. it up to the radio. Uh, okay, everybody, <laughs> uh, stare at your car. Uh, Look at Stan uh, radio there, and uh, you can see what it looks like. But anyway, so uh, in the U.S., you know, we have basically ten, eleven, and twelve. And when you get experience, you can even pick them out just by eyesight. 
at least 10 and 12. 11 might be a little tough, but you can t- tell a 10 and a 12. Don't forget on coils, Washington Franklin's, you have the eight and a halfs. That's true. But eight and a half, nobody's going to confuse with anything well, else. Well, in the classics, you have 15. Nobody's going to confuse those. Hmm. But there are... Are you sure? <laughs> are you positive, Edge? <laughs> and that is why she said, you know, double check it. Make sure that you do have the right perforations, that you don't have the wrong stamp in the wrong place. Did you properly identify the color? Many older stamps have color varieties and should be properly checked and verified before listing. In the early British period, the color can make a big difference in the stamp's value. I use a Gibbons color guide, and I also have a library of stamps that are identified by color for reference. Yeah, this is a biggie, and we put out the Book of Secrets, volume number three, shameless plug here. Anybody who uh, wants a U.S. color guide, um, what are they now, 15 bucks? Fifteen yes, bucks. they're fifteen bucks, Catch. And that includes postage. I bought one. Oh. Yep, I bought one. And what'd you think of it? I don't have one and two. I like it. Oh, it we... helped me get close on a few colors. It still confused the poo out of me at times, but I, I, that's just me. I thought we sent him a one and two. We didn't I guess I not. We stiffed him. Hmm. A member of the show and he got stiffed. I'll tell you what, I'll make but sure I, I'll, I'll I'll tell you what, anybody who wants to just send me postage, I think it costs, uh, there, there are two, there's one book, it's, I, I better not say this now, because I better confirm what the postage is first. Yeah. I'll cut this out. I thought it was like three bucks and change. Yeah, I, I do, but um, next next and, podcast, I'll and, uh, put this in. Stan held up the uh, the Scott color guide. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The Scott Specialized Scott Color specialized Guide. Color guide. Nine, yep. For like 10 and 11, 64, 65, 219B, 220. Well, what the uh, the Book of Secrets number three does is it's a little different. It's not a color guide like that, although we show pictures of the colors. Uh, color guides are really tough. Over time, they discolor, and a book discolors very quickly. But what we have is we have the Pantone number. So you can actually type in Pantone, you know, if, if it's Pantone number 1227, you can literally type that into your computer, Pantone 1227, and it will pop up and show you what color it is on your computer. Now, the hitch is, is that your computer is backlit and everything else, and you're looking at a piece of paper, but it gives you the general color that you are looking for for all these. Or you could make the investment of going and buying your pan, your own Pantone color guide. And that we suggest a lot because uh, you can get a Pantone color guide on eBay for less than 25 bucks. If you don't want to wait, you pay like 35 bucks. Brand new, you want to kind of avoid them because they're like $100. Yeah, for real expensive stamps, you really want a printed color guide because then you're comparing... Um, Subtractive color to subtractive color on the stamp versus uh, the the screen on the TV or on the computer, well, and, which is additive for, color. Yeah, and for different people, they may have their brightnesses and their saturations on their monitors on the computer can be all over the place. Right. Yes. However, the one big thing, the big benefit is 
And again, if you are expertizing stamps like we are, you need the actual colors, you need actual stamps, you need reference copies, stuff like that. But if you are a guy who sees a stamp and it's a three cent Washington from the Civil War and you go, I wonder if this is pigeon blood pink and your thumb open and it's Pantone number and I don't remember what it is, but it's Pantone number 645. And you type in Pantone 645 and comes up and you look at it and you go, yeah, that's not this color. I mean, it really is that easy. Yeah, you can get close. Yeah. Which um, which three stamps? Which is Pantone 7432U or 70, yeah, 7432U. Thank you very much. Stan, who happens to have his book handy. <laughs> Reference material, mandatory for podcast. And um, was it 67? That's buff and yeah, 67. olive yellow and yep. what and other colors? They're the third color. Yeah, the third good color. There's olive buff, buff, and... No, I thought it was olive yellow and... Yeah, you're right, olive yellow. Something... Yeah, yeah the olive, bister. One, olive one's the... Um, <coughs> olive yellow is the good one. Yeah. But I, I remember having one of those, and, and I'm just... I don't see a lot of them, and I frankly don't have the references for them. Yeah. But it's like, I looked it up in the book, and I went down and I grabbed... Pan, uh, Cash's Pantone chipset downstairs, and I went to the three that are listed. And I'm like, "Yep, it's that one." <laughs> I mean, it was like, "Wow, this really works." <laughs> Cash did something good. Who knew? <laughs> well, next, amazing. Next, next week, yeah. <laughs> we are going to be discussing the color of postal stationery paper. Ooh. Oh, God. And yeah, if you want to help us all, you want to pull your hair out. That's the one to do it with. <laughs> that's like going to the paint store and ordering eggshell. Yeah, <laughs> it's white, right? <laughs> so, did you verify the stamp is in never hinged condition? When in doubt, call it hinged. Otherwise, get a good magnifier. I prefer a thirty power scope. That's heavy. Yeah, and examine the stamp. Using magnification can help determine what extent of hinge residue remains on the stamp. Lightly hinged, very lightly hinged, heavily hinged, hinge remnant. It's important to note that any gum disturbance disqualifies the item as being considered never hinged. And, of course, never hinged is never hinged. Or, oh. (laughs) And, of course, NH is never hinged. Incorrectly identifying hinge condition will obviously result in buyer frustration and returns. Uh, a good friend of the show, uh, Jerry Schwartz, who we go to lunch with all the time, he got he submitted a stamp. He broke it out of the middle of a sheet. It was a two cent Ohio uh, canal stamp, and he submitted canal it. Canal zone, canal canal stamp, uh, Ohio Ohio canals uh, number seven twenty two. Canalization. Or, Whatever the number is. And it came from the middle of the sheet. And he submitted it, and it came back with a pH call. And he goes, I tore this stamp out myself. It came from the middle of a sheet of never hinged stamps. And I look at the back, and I go, yeah, but look, right there. And it looked like it was just a general loss of gloss in this area. So he basically... Tore it out of the sheet without washing his hands first. 
No, or, no, or that I, she'd had a problem. I think that she'd had a problem. Yeah. Well, that could be too. Yeah, it was it was like a loss of gloss, but again, it's never hinged, but it's hinged. <laughs> it's just not pristine. Yeah. Well, the other thing too is the next person who purchases it. They don't know that Jerry pulled it out of the middle of the sheet. They have to go by the stamp on its own. And that's a big well, thing that a lot of people say is, you know, well, I pulled it out myself. And it's like, yeah, but the next person who buys it is not going to know that. So unless you're unless you're unless you're handing them the USB drive with the video of you tearing <laughs> it out. So so that's like um, <clears throat> having an imperfect pair of stamps and deciding you're going to cut one super big so that you can get a better grade, and the other one is now super small, and so that you submit the super small one, and it comes back as trimmed perforations. Yep. But I cut it out of an imperforate pair. Yeah, but you made it too darn small. It doesn't stand on its own, and it has to stand on its own, unless you submit proof that this came from... An imperfect pair. Yeah, you better be cutting it in front of us. You better <laughs> or, be cutting it in take, front of take the a, certifying take a picture, take a, take, take a picture of the pair yeah. before you cut it, and then submit one or both stamps together so that you can show that if you put these two back together, that was the, that was the pair. We've had that happen before, and we have given the certs on that. Well, yeah. usually we encourage them to either let us separate them or to... Uh, Drop, come by with their item and separate it in front of us as they submit it. And you got to include the proof with the cert every time it changes hands. Otherwise, the, the first time that, that, it, that you drop the proof off, uh, then the next time it gets certified, it's going to get certified as, oh. as trim yeah. proofs. Yeah, yeah. We, we, get, we get a picture with the pair and say, yep, it's genuine. And then you send it to like the PF without that proof, and they go, PSE smoking crack. Because <laughs> <laughs> they don't know. Yeah. And rightly so. We've had stamps come in uh, off cover. And uh, we go, well, you know, whatever it is. And they go, yeah, but I soaked it off the cover. And they go, you didn't tell us this. We didn't know it came off a cover. We just thought it was, you know, whatever it was. So or, uh, could, it I... be noted, could it be noted on the cert that it was cut such and such and so and so as part of the proof generally speaking it wouldn't appear on the certificate it would appear on the worksheet it would it would be noted on our internal worksheets right so then so we we could go back and look at the provenance but somebody like you know PSAG PSAG or the PF doesn't have access to that to know why we said it was good yeah and the same thing so would, the same no thing would go the other way the yeah, the same thing would go the other way if, you know, the PF had the same thing happen and they sent it to us without that picture. We wouldn't know, and we'd say, the PF is smoking crack. Yeah. Well, you, know, you know, and depending on, you know, if, it, if it's an expensive item, uh, occasionally the expertising services will contact one another and ask if there were any any providence or notes or things like that that may have driven a decision one way or another. Um, and so it, you know, we don't talk on every single stamp, but we, we will talk on, uh, items of significance. Okay. 
makes sense. It's also possible that a... there could have been a previous cert of a horizontal pair that you could look up, mm -hmm. and then uh, and then say, okay, you know, this stamp, you know, here's here's the stamp to be expertized, and here's the reference to the previous cert. Yeah. Right. Well, we certainly went into the weeds on never hinged on that one. <laughs> So, beating our way out of the weeds, did you inspect the stamp and list all flaws? Buyers will want to know up front if there are thins, creases, writing on the back, etc. Huh, you know, know this one is not, well, writing on the back, that's weird, but this one isn't that important if you're selling like out of the sales book. If you're on eBay, you have to do this. If you're in the sales book, you've got the stamp in front of you. I mean, if, if you flip it over and there's a thin, then you hinge it back into the sales book and not buy it. But, you know, if you buy it on eBay, then you got problems because you have returns and everything else. Uh, it's still a good thing to list all the faults. However, you can be forgiven if the person is hol holding the stamp in front of you and checking it. You know, it, that's uh, it's not buyer beware because you have to point stuff out. But you don't have to do it nearly as much as you have to do it if you're online. Online, you have to describe it immaculately. But also the other problem with that is, as a collector, how do you necessarily, you may not know what a thin looks like. <clears throat> then you, you know? shouldn't be selling stamps. I mean, I'm sorry. If you don't know what a thin well, is, but the you shouldn't the, be selling. The, the sales book that we're talking about, though, that's like collectors selling to other collectors more yeah. than anything, yes? Not yeah. dealers selling to collectors. Oh, no. It's almost always collectors selling to collectors. Yeah. Right. But see, that, that that's a different bar when we're talking in this case about the sales book. You know, to me, you know... Uh, well, you when, know, when you're selling and you actually have the ability to look at a stamp before you buy it... That's one thing because you can satisfy yourself that it's in a condition that you want or that you will accept. Uh, when you're buying online, you don't have that ability. And so that just means that uh, you, the seller then has to take that responsibility to be able to tell the condition of the stamp and be able to recognize these faults. With one exception, in my opinion regums and reperfs you have to point them out you have to point them out you can't trust that the other person will spot it if it's reperforated you need to know well as a seller you have to you should point that out anyway yeah as a buyer uh you can't rely on the seller to know that yeah unfortunately the other thing is a beginner as a beginner collector um they might beginners may miss something so sellers listing things is very helpful for beginners yeah. yep do you know what fresh means when describing a stamp yeah it's another word for handsy <laughs> <laughs> dear lord <laughs> be cautious in using undefined non-philatelic terms such as fresh to most a fresh stamp is just as it is just as it would be when purchased from a post office. No, no irregularities such as those from humidity, heat, or time. Others seem to use the term to describe the centering or color. So it's best to avoid such words unless you are clear about the meaning using post office fresh. Maybe more clear if you are meaning that the stamp is as it was when purchased. Or you could say fresh color if that's what your intent is. 
You know, in the olden days, I remember you'd put fine to a fine stamp. And fine sort of had a definition, but not really. Fine could have meant anything. And uh, average, you know, but you, you describe a stamp as fine. And I remember this was decades ago. This was when eBay first came up. And uh, I described a stamp as fine. And then I showed a picture of it. And I got an email back saying, that stamp isn't fine. That stamp is lower than fine. And it's like, well, I'm showing the friggin' picture. <laughs> Judge it on your own. But yeah, it, it, terms come in and out. You know, I, I would say it, so, online, if you're describing something uh, as far as grading, you, it's a good idea to, if not having a graded cert, uh, at least be familiar with the grading standards and what the terms mean. Oh, I have to agree with it. I see superb stamp. And it's like, yeah, it's superb because it's the best one you've seen. Well, it's the not other, the best the one you've seen. The other thing is uh, a lot of dealers and still do. They'll say, well, that's extremely fine for the issue. Okay. What does that mean? Yeah. You know, you could be looking at a stamp that would actually get a grade of fine, but they're going to say it's extremely fine or super, superb for the issue. And, uh, well, that just means that because there's only they, 150 yeah. of them, that that's one of the nicer ones. Okay, but how is a beginner collector supposed to know that? Well, that's like uh, the one cent magenta is fine for the issue. Yeah. yeah. There's only one. <laughs> it's superb for the issue. because <laughs> Best known. But finest known, absolutely. Finest known. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Yeah. I'm fine. We're all fine. Fine here and fine there. But my question is, or it's actually a comment. I've, you've, I've talked to some dealers at different shows, and it's amazing even how many of the dealers don't know about the Scott Yellow Pages. Yeah, that is true. It's depressing how many do. <laughs> <laughs> Makes That's it more probably far less than how many that don't. Well, it depends on how many shows you go to. Shows I go to, everybody knows about it. Makes it much okay. more difficult to buy stamps that are really <laughs> nice for really cheap. <laughs> Can you identify the difference between a stamp crease and a gum crease? A gum crease should not affect the value of the stamp, but should be noted. Ooh. Ooh, I don't so, so very that. so very Ooh. not true. Yeah. <laughs> a crease is a crease is a crease, whether whether it was caused in production, uh, because it's a in the paper from the gumming, doesn't matter. Or whether it's aftermarket because it got stuck in a book. It doesn't matter. A crease is a crease is a crease, it affects the value, period. Did you properly check for watermarks? If a Scott number is determined by a watermark, you should properly check it before listing it as such. A questionable watermark has no value. Watermarks can be visible or clear invisible. A visible watermark need, needs help to identify. Consider the use of tools such as a sinoscope with applied pressure or the use of watermark fluid. Clear and visible means the watermark can be identified visually with your eye. And that would usually be by backlighting it. 
You or placing it on a dark background. Yeah, that's I, true. I do sometimes, th- sometimes I do you can when, see them when they're on the back of the cards. I, I do that when I'm going through a collection. I wish they were all like that. Oh, I, I do too, but hey, it's not a perfect world. <laughs> and if you all, know, else, and if all else fails, buy yourself stamps. a VSC. <laughs> yeah. Some most of the early German stamps have clear invisible watermarks. The lozenges and the networks. Yes. You pretty much can tell. Well, the biggest problem is the single line watermarks on the U.S. stamps because you can have an eighth of an inch of a letter on one stamp and it's watermarked. Yeah. Well, the early Australian watermarks can be difficult because the shape is slightly different. It's the exact same design, just slightly different shape. Like the A, the A watermark will have the, you know, it might be wider or narrower or something like that. Or like the Argentinian watermarks with the sunbursts. Um, The rays might be at a slightly different angle. And unless you're well-versed, they're difficult to tell. Yeah, Switzerland has the same thing with the shields and the the crosses. They're, They're difficult to tell apart. And so if you're selling that kind of material, uh, there's one of two ways to go. Select the cheapest valued variety that it could be, or don't sell it. (laughs) Or put it in a lot. Or get a cert. Put it in a lot. Or get a cert, yeah. In my opinion, the worst watermarks are from Mexico. They are almost impossible to see. I mean, they are so, so very difficult to find. What's the reason for that, though? Uh, they're just shallow. They're very shallow watermarks. Okay, so it's not like the single lines where you can have only part no. of a watermark on the no, stamp. No, you can have the full-blown watermark there, and you dip it, and you hold it, and you sinoscope it. And it, if it has gum, uh, well, if, if it doesn't have gum, it's easier, but it's still hard to see. The British Commonwealth Crown and Edward, uh, Edward Crown and C.A., uh, they came into use in the 60s, I believe. Uh, and a lot of issues have it either sideways or upright. or mm-hmm. uh, Sometimes that can be very difficult to see, mm-hmm. especially when they're mint. Did you verify the printing type, such as photogravure, typography, lithography? We forgot the most important one engraved. Yeah. Offset. There are stamps that are issued that feature the same design but use different printing processes. You may need a microscope to see the difference, but properly identifying the printing type will ensure they are priced correctly. That's getting into the weeds if you have to bust out. You have to buy a microscope to tell the printing type. Well, most most stamps, there's not an issue of whether it's, you know, one or the other. They're... There are generally other characteristics where you can tell the issues apart. If it comes down to printing type, that's unusual. Yeah. Was it, it Norway has a, an official set where there's a lithograph and a photogravure? Well, the, and those are li- the those can be tricky, but yeah, they the, they show it in the catalog and explain it. So yeah, the tough one really is lithograph versus typograph. Telling those two apart is really, really difficult. It can be. 
But yeah. when you get into printing type, you know, do you discuss things like the Washington Franklins and flat plate versus rotary, which were both engraved, but yeah. the design size changes. Yeah. All right. So I have something, Cad, if you don't mind. Go for it. <clears throat> how many how many of y'all have seen the APS virtual stamp shows um, information? I have. I have. Uh, are you it. signed up? Are you signed up for the um, ConnectedCommunity.org, the, the virtual stamp show with the schedule and all of the stamp show events, et cetera? No, but I was going to. Same I here. have done it. I've done it. It is absolutely phenomenal. Oh. Well, great there... information, a great conference schedule. Um, I haven't. I need to call about the dealer's information, but um, it looks pristine it looks very well done well there's a lot of conversation going on on facebook and other social media right now about the uh online stuff and it, it it's kind of comical i mean that's why we put the uh the email that we got we are well becca and tony when he's here and stan you know you guys are calling in via webex and we have the virtual stamp club every Sunday. And, uh, you know, that's via WebEx. And we have lots of people. I think, mm -hmm. honestly, that this is going to continue. It is a really, really easy thing to do that's very fun. And it can collect people who collect, you know, East Coast versus West Coast. I mean, you're still, you can still have the stamp shows. And, you know, the stamp shows are local. But... You just get so many more people and so much more participation when you can pick yes. up people in different states. And the Virtual Stamp Club actually has a hospitality suite, WebEx, on August 20th from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. And then um, on August 21st at the same time. So two days running on the WebEx that we use for the Virtual Stamp Club is a hospitality suite cool and, and yeah is that is that eastern cool. time yes that is eastern time that is 9 p.m to 11 p.m eastern which is six to eight pacific time yeah which means yeah. always always good to point out since yeah. you're on the east coast and we're recording on the west coast <laughs> well right. the nsda the national stamp dealers association which I am the president, by the way. Thank you very much. Um, we are starting this month to have a monthly meeting of the members, you know, to go over things. And we're just addressing, you know, what's going on with eBay. You know, does somebody have some discount postage they want to sell, stuff like that. Just a real quick hour meeting for whoever wants to show up and just discuss the stamp business. This is uh, more for stamp dealers than collectors, but realistically, the concerns are exactly the same for dealers and collectors. You should come in here and sit down and record the meeting. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yes. <laughs> that way you could always go back and refer to it. Yeah. I asked this question. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> or, or get some snippets and put it in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm interested in Cheryl Gans's talk on hometown collecting people and places via postcards and postmarks. I think that's going to be a cool seminar. Yeah. See, something that should be recorded. Yeah. 
I'm sure it will be. Well, that wraps us up for today. We need your help. Join the podcast. Membership is only $10 for a whole lifetime. We need your help to keep us going because nothing on the internet is free to do, including setting up our lovely phone connections. <laughs> if you are an APS member, please send your membership number as we are an APS affiliated club. Our address is P.O. Box 539-309, Henderson, Nevada, 89053. Your support is very much appreciated. You've been listening to Stamp Show here today, episode number 267. This was Tom. This was Cash. This was Scott. This was Mark. This was Stan. This was Becca. I got them all to say was. <laughs> You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.